Hey there, welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right, I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique. We wanna know what it is about everyone, so we're asking. What's your thing? Episode number four, What's Your Thing podcast. Welcome. I am one half the host, Brennan. And I'm the other half, Caitlin. I'm really excited about our guest today, Brennan. Super, super interesting topic and something that's relevant to each and every one of us right now. Absolutely. And it's cool that we're shifting the focus of today to what is primarily, I would say, cybercrime, but can be impactful in other ways. We're going to be talking about fraud and risk management. We had change through media communication. We had youth and mental health and television. We had a doctor focusing on cancer specialties are specializing in cancer. And today we're going to talk about fraud and risk management. And I'd like to welcome guest number four, Mr. Vishal Joy. Hi, everybody. Hey, Vishal, thanks for coming on. I'm going to do a little bit of a background for you. And you tell me if I get it right. You've got 18 years of experience in fraud and risk management. You have extensive experience with groups like Citigroup, LinkedIn, PayPal, and EY. You... Uh, your expertise lies in constructing and overseeing robust fraud operations. You're working for the Veeam Payments, Inc., a leading global payments enterprise. And you tackle very interesting and diverse fraud portfolios, kind of like payments fraud, mortgage fraud, credit card fraud, and account takeover. That was my best at an introduction, but now I'm going to leave it to you, uh, Mr. Joy. Please tell us what's your thing. That's pretty much sums it up, uh, Brennan. And thank you, Caitlin and Brennan, for having me over. I've watched a couple of the episodes. The conversations have been incredibly interesting. And I hope uh, you know this conversation, this dialogue is also interesting for the people who listen to and they have a few takeaways, at least out of this session as well. Uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that I feel like this is one of those situations where fraud and risk management, people tend not to think about it until it's too late. It's something that can impact all of us, but we kind of just take for granted that it's not going to. Would that be fair? That's pretty much fair. That's that. That's pretty much the reason why this industry exists, right? And this industry has only grown bigger. Uh, statistically, the number of people who are being uh, scammed is increasing year on year. This is not a decreasing trend despite the best efforts, right? So yes, uh, fraud awareness is pretty much a key topic and it's an area that I advocate sincerely, right? And anybody who has been in touch with me, who I work with, know I'm very passionate about this space as well. Uh, while the space sounds interesting and glamorous, it's not as glamorous as well, right? When you go in the weeds and you're trying to tackle it, but it's a very important topic and I think everybody should be aware about this as well. Well, to your point, I kind of feel like people are lost when this happens, right? It's almost too late. And then they're probably going to go, what could I have done to change this? Interesting take on that, right? Where does it begin? How does it begin? It, In my view, it begins when we want to keep things simple, right? We have uh, reached an era where technology is speaking and more and more new technologies are coming in place, right? We, it, many of the past technologies are taken for granted. Now the next new thing is AI, which is taking everything for good and for bad to the next level. And typically fraudsters are the one who really uh, latch onto this new technologies faster than the regular folks do. 
right? And what we want as consumers is what really drives the behavior of fraudster. We want things simple. We don't want more securities. We don't want complex passwords. We don't want OTPs. We don't want face IDs. We don't want biometrics. Like these are the security measures that have been deployed to kind of keep you safe. But we as consumers really don't want that. And we push back. So that's a constant push that is that we at an organization level as a, as a risk leader, I need to kind of really manage with expectation of the organization versus expectation of risk. So, so part of it is to do with the consumer behavior as well. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if we could roll it back uh, right to the beginning. So you work um, at your organization. So what specifically is it you do and who do you specifically manage? And then are you in fraud prevention, fraud awareness? Are you reactionary if a client does get? So let's just go right back to the beginning. Great question, Caitlin. That's absolutely fantastic. You know, uh, uh, happy to peel back some of the layers. And it's not pretty much about the current organization, but my my career in general, right? It has kind of pivoted uh, on different sides and all the elements that you've spoken about, right? Fraud prevention, fraud detection, fraud awareness are all different facets of this entire topic. So this topic cannot be limited to one into one definition. There are multiple areas through which you kind of really tackle. And I think I've been lucky and privileged enough to kind of have a career which has spanned across all of these three different uh, domains as well in different in different capacities. Uh, fraud is a lot more complex uh, topic to explain when we have when we associate certain nuances to it. But I'm going to try and keep it simple. I in my previous experiences I have worked on fraud prevention, which is primarily trying to ensure that people are not able to enter a financial institution system to take advantage of their uh, capabilities. That is fraud prevention. That is again from an organization level. That's not at a consumer, that's not for consumer protection. That's to protect the organization. I don't want to lose money to fraudster. Second is fraud detection. Detection happens when somebody has breached your security, breached the gates, come into the come into the system and now taking advantage of the system. That's where you need to ensure that you have technologies, people who are manning and manning these gates to kind of identify if something nefarious is taking place. That's fraud detection. And fraud awareness is a culmination of both. Like you can't keep all of this inward and you know these are not secrets. These are not uh, intellectual uh, capabilities that should be kept within an organization. We talk about this very, very openly, try and make the consumer aware of the fact that the the uh, the areas that they need to delve into protect to protect themselves. So I have had the opportunity to kind of work through all of them. In my current capacity, I am touching all of these three in in the organization that I'm with right now. You're running a risk management team, correct? I run uh, the uh, risk management team. Yes, that's right. So with your background, how do you get into that career? I, I feel like people would think, is there an investigative background? Like, is it law enforcement? Is it a business analyst who goes in just as this size you run? Is it IT experts or is it kind of accumulation of everything? Well, you know, what we do is not rocket science. Let me put it very, very simple, right? If you have an intuitive mind, if you are looking, uh, if you have the capability to search and uh, beyond the obvious, uh, uh, obvious clues, if you are curious to ask the extra questions, then this is a kind of role that really we can will allow you to flourish and will take you far, right? 
but how I got into it, it's it's, it's pretty interesting. I ne I never knew this industry existed. Right. Uh, when I started my career, I started pretty raw, pretty green, and I started as a a credit card underwriter. Basically, a credit card underwriter does is that they review a credit card application, decides whether to grant to approve a credit card or not approve a credit card and what credit limit needs to be assigned. Now this, I'm talking about 18 years ago. All of this, what I'm saying is now done by systems. You don't need a human eye to come into play unless and until there is something really out of the ordinary. So system does it all right now, but that's how I really started in this space. And interestingly, I was like the, what intrigued me is that the, every decision that we used to take used to, dis, uh, was based on and field visit that has been conducted on an application, right? Every credit card application, somebody goes to the applicant's residence to figure out whether they stay there. So they go to their office space to figure out they're working there. They We screen the documents to figure out whether they are forged or, or fabricated in any shape or form. So that was the level of in investigation or basic investigation that used to carry them. Whenever I used to read these reports, it used to always intrigue me. Like, how are we, how are these people really functioning? That's really what got me started in this space. But everything after this was kind of one role to the next. I was chasing a chasing a let me say a pay package, a certain <laughs> a, a certain uh, a salary, and every time I moved, I kind of tend to shift in the same domain. So that kept on enhancing till a certain point of time. Then pay was not the uh, the driver, but the quality and the capability that I can develop in this space became the primary driver. So it kind of happened by accident in that sense but anybody can come into this space there is no restriction as to who can or who cannot excel in this space but right. i also want to sorry i just want to take a moment to draw a distinction between fraud and risk management and cyber security cyber security is where you would require a little bit more specialized studies where you have done uh, a, a little bit of coding and learn something about in that space where cybersecurity ends is where my team starts. Like, you know, all the security barriers that they've kept to prevent bad actors coming in. But despite those gates, somebody has been able to come in. That's when my team will start uh, coming in and trying to see how can we stop them to exploit the system further. Yeah, I think that's probably most of the fraud and is driven by kind of the internet, I would say now online kind of, is that a fair statement? It has made it easier. Okay. Right. It is lot uh, anonymity of the web has made everything a lot more easier. And that okay. was going to be one of our next questions was what's the biggest challenges that you're facing right now? Is it, the, is it the encryption? Is it the international capabilities of all these groups? You know, you might have something happen and they're in some other country or they're finding new ways to get past these, like you said, cybersecurity systems. What are the biggest challenges that you guys are facing now? So it is industry in general. It is not unique to me or unique to this space, right? It is the general trend is the uh, epidemic level of data security breaches, right? What we take for granted is how many accounts that we created, how many times we have entered our PI information, which is personally identifiable information, name, date of birth, uh, email, phone, right? These are there in so many different platforms. You have, a, you create a banking app, you have this information. You create a LinkedIn account, you have this information. Your Facebook account has this information. Your Instagram account has this information. You 
download so many different apps on your mobile <laughs> app or mobile phone for different use games, XYZ requirements, you have all this information being deployed. So the scary part and what is being leveraged is the breaches of this data. Now this data is available on the dark web. Dark web is 90% uh, is of the internet, right? Which is not accessed by us, not by the normal people. This is accessed by the people who know where to find this information and exchange and buy of this information. So when this kind of data is exposed, it can be used for umpteen number of uh, different types of attacks, many of which result in financial fraud and unfortunate uh, pain for consumers and people like us. Yeah, that's so, so, you know, financial fraud on the individual when we, you know, I think we're at a point where we kind of have to divulge this information on the internet if we want to participate in society as it is. So, you know, we we have a breach, somebody gets our information, they've made financial um, fraud against us. What do we do as individuals? What is our next step to protect ourselves or to stop it? Or what do we do? There are very, very simple things that we can do to always protect ourselves. And I'll, I'll, I'll you know, rattle out a few things, uh, which I feel is the most easiest one. Right. Never feel that I do not need to enhance authentication on wherever I'm creating a uh, providing my information. For example, uh, let's say I'm creating a Facebook account. Right. You can always add the extra layer of protection by saying I want to enable uh, multi-factor authentication, which basically means in case some kind of uh, abnormality is detected by their systems, they will send a. Uh, SMS or a text message with an OTP. That's one of the basic levels. I'm using multi-factor authentication because it is now evolved beyond just uh, SMS uh, 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 OTPs. It is other areas as well. So enable that if possible. One thing that I always do with any of the blanking platform that I'm using is that I always ensure that I've enabled the feature where I receive text messages or in-app messages when my card is being used, right? Therefore, every time I make a purchase, whether it is for $5 or whether it is for $500, I get a notification a purchase has been made on my car. That keeps me on my toes saying that, okay, if I have, if the card is in position of me and I'm still getting a notification that my card has been used or my banking uh, bank account has been used, I get a notification. So always enable that feature. It may be a few dollars to get that. that that's, another, that's another surprising factor. Like it's, a, it's a very North America centric uh, uh, feature where you, end up paying for a lot of things, right? All of this is taken for granted uh, back in Asia. These are all free features. You don't pay for mm -hmm. any of this. You, I get a hundred SMS per day on my bank accounts back home, right? And I, they just send SMS as if it's free for everyone. Whereas here you have to pay for this, but that should not dissuade you from adopting the technology, uh, that capability. Third and the foremost, I would say is that do not reuse your password. Do not, you go for the most easiest password. Till now, the most popular password that is being used, which is getting breezed year on year, is password itself. The term, the letters P-A-S-S-W-R-D. This is the most common set of password which is being used and which is also leading up to breaches as well. So there are a few things that we can still do uh, and not make it easier for the foster to try and guess uh, our passwords as well. So how do these people do this? How do, like, how does me, Brennan, with a Facebook account, end up being on some hacker's list with uh, my passwords compromised. It all happens with data breaches, right? You, Your Facebook account doesn't necessarily have to be breached. 
but your Facebook account is linked with your email address, which is linked also may also have your primary phone number associated with it, right? And you may have used the same combination, which you have to, right? That's your PII details. And you have set up another account and that account got hacked, that company got hacked. Now your data is available in the market. Now it's up to the hacker to use the same password or try a brute force attack, which basically is a program which they run, which tries multiple combinations of passwords till the time they get it. But that's that takes a long time. There are other and easier ways to do it, you know, uh, to try and get. But that's how your data gets uh, in the hands of uh, bad actors. Hence the importance of the multi-factor authentication. At the very passwords, least. Different passwords. At the very least. like and, and phrases. Like, you know, now a lot of uh, recommendations around passwords around using phrases instead of, you know, something that is your date of birth or your son's date of birth or your house address is basically phrases that you re remember. Good point. It helps you remember your, as well, right? But if you are someone like me who forgets their passwords, every time, and that makes my life a little difficult, every time I have to go, I have to reset the password. Yes. That's, but that's, a, every but time. That's, a, that's an inconvenience I am willing to accept as opposed to my data getting compromised. Like your point of uh, you have to pay a little bit for the service of getting the text messages, but you pay a little bit of money, hopefully to save a lot of money or... You know, all yes. of your personal details. So you said you started. If, if I can just make one more point. Yeah, I just want to make this point about North America. The North America, which is Canada and America, is the central point of fraud in the entire world. Really? The industry is driven through North America and Canada. The amount of fraud that happens, financial fraud that happens in North America, that is Canada and US, is is not the same that happens in the store. The, the economy is driven through this. So that's why it is slightly more important here in this space. So you're saying our 38 million people, is that standalone or is that with the US? We're all like one so, blanket. I would combine both of the markets together. From day one, I've been exposed to scam, whether it is email scam, phone scam, the amount of scams that I've been exposed to on my phone, the number of calls, scam yeah. calls that I re receive. They're pretty frequent, I find these days. Phenomenal. So I, I'd love to ask a follow-up question on that. So is it... North Americans scamming each other, or are we being um, attacked by other countries for our gullibility or or our vulnerability? What's going on there? Yeah, I would. It's not gullibility. Nobody's gullible here. I think everybody's smart. It is the convenience that we're looking for, and that convenience that creates the vulnerability, because there's a pushback from the consumer. The organizations are are not proactive in extending or improving their security as well. But it is bad actors are everywhere, right? We, I, in my career, I've seen bad actors within the US itself trying to scam each other. I have seen equal number of bad actors from uh, other geographies uh, also trying to scam people in, in US. But US is the market that everybody tries to target. It's just because the technology has not kept pace. The consumer data is more frequently available uh, for it to kind of, lot be a lot more successful but it happens everywhere it happens everywhere in their respective geographies people are scamming <laughs> that's the most that's the thing that did not surprise or surprise me that how frequent and how common this is hmm. interesting so we've we had passwords now we're at passwords with multi-factor authentication where do you think it's the market's moving in terms of personal financial security the way I would like to secure and the way I would like to secure my own accounts is through biometrics, right? Okay. Not I don't, that, that, I'm not sure what that means. 
well, you uh, if you have a you know Android device or you have a Apple device, if you have to open your phone without having to key in your password, it basically scans your face, or it you know scans your thumbprint to say okay, yes, you are the person who is accessing this device and it grants you access. So that's basically biometrics, and that's how some of the security that I've created on my banking apps, like if I have to access my if my phone gets stolen tomorrow and they're able to still. Uh, break into my into my phone they will not be able to access my bank apps because that's protected by biometric it will only open if they if my face is in front of that uh, app and it scans me and does that and confirms that so i feel that's the next level of security that is going to move forward but it's it's it goes hand in hand with fraud right? the amount of ai that is happening and being used by bad actors they are able to kind of replicate this so there is a while this moves towards protection through biometrics, we'll also see fraudsters trying to take advantage of the same technology as well. So it goes hand in hand, something new will come up for sure, but biometrics is something that I feel is the right place to be at. Is there a lot of pushback to this? As you know, I can see people being like, I'm not giving my thumbprint or my face print to like Apple and my phone thinking that it's going to be taken so, and, and harvested. Or is there people just like, I don't ever need to worry about... Uh, changing my passwords or having multi-factor authentication like is it like you said to that you, you can't be an ostrich and think that bad things will not happen to you right you can't just bury your head in the sand it's 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 a matter of time as opposed to anything else like everybody is being bombarded if you go and check your right now your spam emails in your uh, inbox you will see the amount of phishing emails that you have received technologies have improved so as to kind of not put them into your inbox and rather send to your spam but you're being bombarded. So it's just a matter of time before you end up clicking on a link, downloading a malicious software on your system, ending up sharing the information, giving control of your of your device to a fraudster. So the resistance is only, I think it's, it's just generational. Uh, the generation that is going up right now is so much more comfortable with technology and how pervasive it has become. That's just, it's as that generation shifts, the, we will see a lot more technology being adopted to secure accounts. But everybody needs to be aware. So where do you think this is going? As you said, it's ever evolving. They're using tools like AI. They're just constantly coming out with new softwares. I feel like phones now have the best, so I thought, kind of cybersecurity on them, you know, antivirus, whatever. These people are just constantly coming up with new things and just being more and more aggressive. This is, always a, this is this is always a cat and mouse game, uh, Brennan, right? This is, you know, fraudsters are always trying to exploit anything that is available in the market. And we have seen the shifts in the market, you know, typically previously when fraud used to happen was it was somebody's stolen card being used on a retail, uh, on a retail uh, uh, shop, uh, right? Those were the kind of frauds that used to happen or your card data being uh, uh, being copied and used uh, for uh, for fraudulent transactions, then the entire shift happened to card not present environment, which basically means the onset of the e-commerce world. Right now, you can sitting at your home, you can make purchases. The moment that happened, fraudsters shifted all the security that has been had been made to secure the POS terminal, which is the physical retail stores, then shifted to the online. The fraudster moved made this dramatic shift uh, to the online space. So. Every time the technology shifts, every time, uh, every time a new capability is deployed, fraudsters are the first one to adopt that 
to figure out what's not working well and then they are the first people to exploit that as well so it's always will be a cat and mouse game this that's why this industry works that's why we are always chasing uh, chasing uh, to catch the bad guys well i guess you picked an interesting career because you're constantly going to be learning there's going to be no no slowing down eh yes from from that perspective like i said it sounds more glamorous from outside right but when you are in the weeds when you are when you are under attack when you are trying to uh, trying to stop bad guys right you have to also understand that uh, some of the good guys may also get impacted right it there is no one single silver bullet that will only identify the bad guys the tech, you know they so you have to be under you have to be under constant vigil there is a constant push and pull between risk and business risk feels we are we are not being as conservative as we should be business be says that you are being too conservative we need to relax a little bit right so that balance is what the struggle is uh and like i said the consumer behavior itself and that balance is basically also driven by uh by the consumer as well like it's too difficult for me to open an account it's too difficult for me to use a app you're asking me too many uh questions why are you asking me for this document why are you asking for to establish my identity yeah so it's a challenge yeah i've been on that end where you're at the bank i lost my wallet one time and i remember i went in and i was like i have a picture of my driver's license here and they were like we can't accept that please go get your birth certificate and i was like that doesn't have a picture and i was just like in a half like i'm out of here i don't want to deal with this right now and then i ended up fortunately finding my wallet but i was thinking to myself you don't really realize well it's good that those safeguards are in place because who knows what would have happened anyone could just walk into my bank and say hey this is me this is a little bit of information about me give me access unlimited access to this guy's funds Very never think of it that way very much possible most less likely when you're talking about walking into a bank well, more course, and more yeah. likely when you're setting up your accounts with new banks or using online platforms so i i have a question anecdotally is there a case that you've come in where you've just gone wow that was like a really unique way of fraud like something that surprised you but being in the industry now nothing surprises me honestly mm -hmm. right what really surprises me is that the customer doesn't want to protect themselves that's what really surprises me like the pushback that we get for 2fa anywhere right we just don't want sms coming into my phone which i need to key in right so but i would still you know i have come across many different types of fraud attacks many different types of fraudsters who i found really uh, really intriguing uh early on in i'll just share one example for you guys just to kind of uh, build it out a little bit uh, and also hopefully for the audience to understand sometimes the most simple of attacks can also become more more and more complex right uh in one of my uh, previous companies uh this customer had set up a online account created an account with us and added a few credit cards and started making in app purchases or online purchases for some reasons uh, these payments uh, got flagged for review that we you need to kind of review uh, these payments and the way they get flagged is based on technology that has been deployed which de detects abnormalities or, or 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 a certain indicators that will help us understand the riskiness of that transaction or that account nonetheless the account got flagged for review and we started engaging uh, with the customer and uh, we started asking them for certain key piece of documents and some of the normal set of documents would be 
where you have to provide your ID proof, photo ID proof, you need to provide. Uh, sometimes that if that still we feel suspicious, despite having that document available to us, we may also ask somebody to provide a selfie ID, which basically means you are in front of a camera, you have your ID in your hand and you're taking a picture with your ID in hand to just to ensure that the person whose ID is being sent is the same person uh, who is coordinating or responding to our, uh, to our request. Uh, so that person send the ID proof as well as a selfie ID. And when we, our team, my team did an additional investigation and found that individual on LinkedIn as well. And when we compared the pictures, that person was completely different than the person who was interacting with us. Right. So the, there, there is a certain level of confidence these fraudsters have that nobody will go and check and try and find out through social media about some of these guys as well. So they have become more and more, uh, uh, they really, really become uh, more and more aggressive. Like, you know, they, they are the ones who also make the lost, lot, lot amount, most amount of noise as well. So that was one interesting, like, you know, the access to uh, documents of the customer and the ability to forge the documents and, and you know, share as part of, even to kind of uh, try and uh, get through the security measures that have been put in place. That was one of the interesting cases that I uh, saw as I have kind of moved in this space. And wow. Yeah, just the, the confidence, like you were saying, it's interesting. And when you catch, uh, when we catch some of these people, the stories that they come back with, like, you know, I remember the story where we were engaging with this fraudster. We had caught the fraudster and we were trying to threaten the customer, this fraudster saying that we are going to go to law enforcement with this details and then the engagement with this fraudster saying that you know i have cancer i did this because i needed money for my treatment i'm gonna pay you back uh you know uh uh, uh sending pictures uh of how she's not feeling well a lot of drama that end up uh, you know they end up creating as well so there's there are many many different facets interesting as well as scary so i was going to ask you that when you're dealing with a breach or something's happening, there's active fraud, what happens after you identify it, you shut it down, then you guys go on, you do an investigation and do you work with law enforcement at that point or, and then just kind of reevaluate how it happened, set up for the future. Can you walk us through that piece? Yeah. Like I said, the distinction between cybersecurity and the realm that I work in is very, is, is like, there are two different realms, right? Typically mm -hmm. when there is a breach of data that has happened, it is required by regulation for you to intimate the customers as well as law enforcement, right? You need to let them know there's some kind of breach that happened. There's, there is uh, regulations around it. And certainly there is a root cause analysis that happens after a breach has happened. What led to that breach? What were the vulnerabilities that were ex exploited by these fraudsters, these bad actors, and how we can stop them from happening? So it has to happen. Every organization where wherever a breach has happened, they need to go through this journey, right? It cannot, you can't sweep it under under the carpet. And if you do sweep it under the carpet, you're, you know, you're going to land up in bigger trouble as well, right? But where we come across is that once this breach has happened, we try to ensure it as not just a, in this organization where we are, I am right now, in general, is try to ensure that we are also hooking up to these external data sources to identify whether an account that is being created is coming from a data breach as well. So we need to be doubly sure as well, just so there's an extra layer of check that happens just to screen these 
information across uh, known databases. And you, so you have access to these known databases. Is this something that all companies can get access to, or is it just? So it's a business, right? You there are in businesses that are set up, which have created this consortium of datas where they have pulled all this information together and you're able to kind of uh, use and buy those. As a consumer, I don't know if you have heard this, uh, Pond, if uh, there's a site called Pond Me or something, which is big, and I'll maybe share this at a later stage, where you can I go and- know what you're talking about. Words with friends, just, massive data breach. Yeah, so you can just create your email address there to find out how many times your email has been breached or how many times your email is popping up in different data breaches. Yeah, I recommend everybody do that. I got, I had one old email that was, uh, yeah, I had this app called Words with Friends and it got breached. Check my email on haveyoubeenpwned.com or something like that. Yes, have you been pawned, I think, yes. Yeah, it was, uh, it's interesting because you never would have thought it. I would never have known. I just happened to, I think, be talking to somebody and they were like, oh, you should check your email. And then sure enough, there it is. So it's, um, you were talking about North America being the hub and then, you know, how easy it is for these bad actors to get access to things. But what do you think would surprise people the most about fraud risk management in your words, if you haven't already addressed it, how easy it is, how easy it is to become a victim, what we were talking about earlier. That's exactly, I think that's the running theme, right? You know, that we take security for granted that we take that it is not my problem. It is somebody else's problem to solve for and protect me. I think that's what, uh, is and always will be the challenge. Uh, so think, yeah. back to the initial point, you touched on this earlier. What would you say you want people to know the most for their own personal protection? Your security is in your hand. Don't outsource it. Right? Do what you can to protect yourself. And then from there, uh, let's deal with it one situation at a time. So be so careful with your PIA, PIA data. Revisiting those points, make sure, you know, if you have the opportunity, enable multi-factor authentication, use phrases as your password. Um, don't use the same password across multiple platforms. Is it a good idea to have, if you have multiple emails, use different emails when, or? Did... Absolutely, you can, right? You at least should have a couple of emails because you need one for your recovery of your email as well. If you have, if you have gone through any kind of recovery process, they also ask for an alternate email. So it, it's certainly useful to have two. That's an off, uh, an obvious answer. I need to work on my cybersecurity, <laughs> my, my my risk management. I'm uh, I'm listening to you, and I'm feeling a little sheepish right now. I also need to work on my cybersecurity. Michelle, <laughs> you've just met two of those North Americans that are. No, exactly... it's, it, North America was just an example, right? It's a it's everybody likes to have it simple, right? And and the more easy we make access to our data, the more vulnerable we are. That's the bottom line. Right. Let's let's try and it's our money, right? So why should it be, why should it make it easier for somebody else to take it out? To be honest with you, it's nice to hear it from your perspective and having you here. I appreciate that because it simplifies something that's so important, but at the same time, we kind of take for granted, as you we just saw in this conversation. It's nice to, you know, if you work for a company and they kind of put you through the cyber security training, which often has to do with this kind of thing, it's like, okay, yeah, whatever, but you kind of don't take it home. And it's nice to hear from you to actually get like the perspective of this is how easy it is to happen and this is how much you're at risk so i appreciate you coming on for that but i wanted to ask you now we've heard about your thing tell us something else that's interesting about you wow ah. <laughs> 
So I think uh, outside this topic, professional topic, what I'm also very, very passionate about is bringing mental well-being to the uh, uh, to the forefront. Like it's a it's a very taboo subject, especially from where I've grown up, right? Uh, and how we have grown up, we don't really talk about how we feel uh, and how hard it is to kind of talk about uh, that particular aspect. And I really wanted to kind of, that's something that I've been passionate about. So how do we take the taboo away from, you know, you're not, make it as uh, ubiquitous as I have a stomach ache, I really can't come into work as opposed to, I don't think I'm up to it today. You know, I'm really dealing with something and I really won't be able to address that. So I just want that to come to a mainstream uh, as part of a mainstream conversation. That's something that I've, I've kind of really talked to people about, especially in the professional workspace. Yeah, I, I really appreciate what you said there with respect to uh, I'm just not feeling it today. I have a headache, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to stay home when you might be just crumbling inside. I'm, I have lots of experience with anxiety. And it's funny how I've even seen the shift in my lifetime where they talk about certain individuals from the 50s or 60s. And they're like, oh, that person just had panic attacks. They were kind of like manic. And you don't realize that this person probably had a severe anxiety disorder or depression. Nobody understood it. There has been a big discussion, I find, in the media around mental health in the last few years. Specifically in Ottawa, they have things like Bell Let's Talk Day. You're saying that you want to bring it more to the forefront. Do you have any any resources that you would recommend to people, especially with your experience and you know, running teams and businesses and or any any resources you want to share? So specifically, I don't have any resources per se. It's just basically conversations, right? Making people comfortable. And I, I like to lead my teams the way I like to be led by my manager or my leader, right? Which is basically somebody who is willing to listen, somebody who's willing to understand, somebody who takes out time to go beyond the obvious, right? That's the kind of relationship you need to establish to make the other person comfortable to come up and talk about something that is there on their mind. Right. So like I said, and I mostly apply that in my professional space uh, outside speaking to family as well, but I've not gone out in the public to try and uh, make this more of a mainstream topic. Well, it's pretty important. I think all of us, you know, we work in environments, especially your environment, I imagine at times can be pretty high stress. So it's probably you find it just having that conversation and being open with people, you find it helps them kind of ride the waves of these very stressful times and tense situations. Absolutely. And and for people who work in, in the space of social media, especially platforms like Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, there's a whole team, Twitter, there's a whole team in the background, which is called by the goes by the name of trust and safety. One part of that organization or that department looks at content being shared. And I can't even begin to imagine to ex and explain the kind of content that gets shared. And somebody who has to manually review that content day in and day out, it breaks you. It desensitizes you. So the, the, as one of that was one of that started with that conversation when I was managing a team in that space, how they were exposed to that and how, what kind of breaks they needed from that kind of work uh, uh, so that they don't feel that this is normal because that is still not normal. That never will be normal. So yes, actually that's kind of stemmed from that uh, that experience how do we kind of ensure that this is something that we all deal with? I appreciate that a lot because there's probably a lot of people and hopefully I will listen to this and kind of think like, okay, maybe I am running a team. Maybe I need to be more open with my, my staff or even just listen. So, well, thanks very much, Michelle. I appreciate you coming on here. It's been very, very interesting to talk about this. Like, I mean, I learned a few things today. I learned to, 
some personal stuff about my habits that maybe I got to change and I'll, I'll take your advice and lead the way. Yeah, me too. I, I want to thank you. I, you know, I, I know what I should be doing, but now I know that I'm going to do it. So thank you very much for your help. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Brian, for having me over. It yeah, was really it was awesome having this conversation. No, I think it's, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, love to hear from you. And I appreciate it again, maybe down the road, you know, we can have you on again. Certainly happy to come back and talk about how things are evolving whenever the time comes. Thank you, sir. Thank Take you. Care. Good night. That's guys. it, uh, everyone. What's your thing? Episode number four. Very grateful to have Vishal Joy. Very interesting conversation. And I think we can all say we learned a lot and we will see you next time. What's your thing? So make sure to check us out. What's your thing pod.com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, follow us on TikTok. Check us out. We're going to have a blast. What's your thing? What's your thing?